Hey everyone and welcome back to the Athlete Fix podcast. Today I'm very excited to share with you an episode I recorded with none other than Mr Len Funk, consultant orthopaedic shoulder surgeon and professor of orthopaedics and sports sciences based up in the northwest of England, a man who really needs no introduction, a very well-known, well-respected figure in the medical profession and I've had the pleasure and privilege of attending some in-service trainings with Len. Uh, I've attended some CPD events at hospitals where he's been a speaker. And I've, I've always taken a huge amount of insights and knowledge uh, from his talks and at seminars and trainings. And so I thought it would be fantastic uh, to record an episode with him and, and share uh, some of his clinical pearls with all of you. He very graciously agreed to come on and also uh, was extremely patient because this episode I was actually recording from a hotel uh, in London via my phone and um, uh, it, was, it, was, it was ridiculous how that when I, as soon as I started recording and found a nice quiet spot, good Wi-Fi and I had helicopters suddenly airplanes appeared out of nowhere somebody came around and started hoovering right next to me um yeah it was it was pandemonium there for a, for a little bit we had some technical problems with connection uh and this sort of thing but uh so you'll have to just forgive me if it seems a little bit jumpy uh, I've done my best to kind of smoothly edits and transition the the clips we probably ended up with about 50 clips of <laughs> of uh of separate recordings here i had to try and kind of frankenstein together uh but uh yeah the thing that strikes me about len is this he he, he consider somebody who's so you know so intelligent so knowledgeable um he's very he's very humble and very eager willing um and um enthusiastic about sharing his his knowledge and his expertise and that's exactly what he did on today's episode where we talked about uh, rotator cuff specifically um, rotator cuff surgeries um, examination uh, processes tests uh, and uh, imaging techniques so without further ado here's Len. Hey, lovely lovely to speak to you how are you uh, doing how, yeah. how are things? Good, very good. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me on this. Oh, it's, it's absolutely my pleasure. I think it's been, a, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think the last time um, I saw you was when we had, um, you very kindly agreed to uh, um, give up your time to do a little bit of an in-service training for us at the uh, the physio lounge. So we, we came over to visit. Oh, uh, yeah. Good good little chat and, um, and session mm. there. And um uh, I, I think I'm, yeah. I'm paraphrasing you, but I think you'd said something to the effect of that CrossFitters were putting your kids through college. You were getting that many. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, absolutely. That's right. I mean, cross, CrossFit, as you know, is a higher shoulder injury rate uh, than, than rugby, which was the previous high. So it's, it's, over, it's overtaken, overtaken rugby, despite it's... its uh, it's relative infancy, I suppose, as a, as a sport. It, it has, it has, yeah. Although something's changed probably since we last d- d- talked because I'm, I'm not seeing um, as many of the crazy 20-year-old CrossFitters are starting to see a generation of 40, 50-year-old 
so-called crossfitters and that's that's a lot more that's even more challenging but yeah oh okay it's interesting interesting okay so the demographics change slightly yeah yeah absolutely okay brilliant and Mm -hmm. how's your how's your week sort of split these days are you doing is it sort of more so teaching or you you no well no no sort of i've i've pulled out of academia post-covid so um, okay so i'm really you know the the thing that I guess that I really enjoy now is just treating patients and sure. um you know as as you sort of become more and more subspecialized it, it's a narrower audience to teach if that makes sense so it does. what yeah. what I do is less relevant for most trainees um orthopedic trainees and there's a lot better teaching them I think um so you know uh, and yeah, I'm sort of uh, the the bit I really enjoy is treating patients, and the problem is before I was turning patients away for academia, and um, I see, yeah. And so, sort of a like a lot of people post COVID, I've sort of had to rationalise my life and you know sort things out. So, of course, yeah, yeah. So ninety nine percent now is is just just. Um, treating patients um you know clinics and and surgery okay okay well it sounds yeah i mean as you say yeah a lot of uh, we've all had a lot of time for reflection over the uh, the pandemic and um sort of recalibrating and finding a new equilibrium off the back of that but it's nice to hear that you're you sort of it sounds like you've you've moved back towards what you're really most most passionate about and um i guess that's what we should all strive for in life i suppose um anyway um okay so uh today although i often find when recording these podcasts that sometimes we just end up going where the conversation takes us uh and maybe going off piece but i really wanted i was really keen to sort of talk about um rotator cuff uh uh, with you today as a sort of overarching subject um and yeah, I mean, I've got I've got a, a, a couple of questions here, but we'll see where we go. Um, so the first the first thing before we even get into uh, things along the lines of um, history taking and examination techniques, etc. Right. Uh, you mentioned a little bit about the, the demographic shift you've noticed in and who came to you initially. Uh, you know, the the, the cohort of, of, of crossfitters in their twenties, but when it comes to rotator cuff injury specifically who are you who are you tending to see come through the door with with uh with rotator cuff problems well uh, quite a wide wide range but the most common is uh patients over 40 so okay um, you know a rotator cuff tends to degenerate with time so it tends to be an older person's um pathology Sure, sure. So you're you're not trying to see maybe younger traumatic tears. It's more of oh yes, sort of oh no. See see younger traumatic tears um, as part of sporting populations, particularly um, you know amongst uh, certain specific sporting populations. But um, you know, in a general shoulder surgeons or general. Uh, physiotherapist practice it will largely be older patients 
Okay, okay. And um, would you would you say sort of uh, have you noticed any sort of um, common common patterns? If we sort of maybe start with those more kind of forty plus degenerative uh, types, is there anything when you're going through their clinical history um, that you're trying to tease out specifically? Any specific sort of questions that you're that you're asking them? So uh, I mean, typically traumatic tears have a specific history of a traumatic event and you know depending on how degenerate your tissues are how degenerate the tissues are um, depends on the level of um, trauma that would cause that so mm. you know we tend to in uh, younger uh, middle-aged patients a patient in the 40s 50s it could be a skiing injury it could be a wrenching type of of injury mechanism falling down the stairs grabbing the banister um you could see it um in uh, in, in any type of uh, you know sports trauma weightlifting injuries um work injuries um, but with a traumatic soft tissue injury of the shoulder in that group of populations, by far and away the most common is a rotator cuff injury. Um, with with older patients, so heading towards 60s, 70s, the level of trauma is usually less because the tendons tend to be more degenerate. So um it could be fairly fairly simple things um such as you know just slightly lifting a heavy weight um a heavy pushing activity uh, a simple fall is the most common uh, again with wrenching type injuries uh, but again in those groups the most common soft tissue injury um would be a rotator cuff injury you also then get your degenerative tears where there's no history of trauma and they have an insidious onset of uh, pain. Uh, but then from the history, um, your differential is, is wider. Um, so you'd be relying more on clinical examination and imaging there. Within sure. Absolutely. That, that, that makes absolute sense. And with... Um, uh, with rotator cuff tears, uh, do, do you generally end up finding that, um, is there any uh, particular common pattern where they're, they're presenting um, with a combination of, of, of other injuries or you, do you tend to see sort of uh, no. maybe some rotator cuff injuries in isolation? What tends to be the the, the well, again, it, combination. it depends. In in a atraumatic degenerative rotator cuff, you're going to have uh, degenerative problems um, throughout the the shoulder joints. So it's very common to see AC joint degeneration, biceps tendon degeneration, um, uh, and you may even have glenohumeral degeneration. So. Um, you know, you probably would have varying patterns of those. And then you have to work out which is uh, the one or couple that is causing the patient's symptoms because all of those degenerative changes you'd see in many asymptomatic shoulders, including rotator cuff degenerative tears, but they may be asymptomatic. So in those atraumatic groups, you, it's a bit... Uh, more of a process, um, 
to work out what is the source of their pain. Whereas with a traumatic injury, um, you the, the, it's fairly obvious that it's the rotator cuff that's the main problem. They may then have underlying degenerative conditions like as AC joint arthritis, which may be asymptomatic, but again, they could have, you know, aggravated their AC joint when they've had the injury. Um, so you've got to be aware of that and, and be sure to assess uh, clinically and radiologically for those um, associated uh, potential pathologies. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And um, that's a good segue, actually, into sort of objective assessment. And as you were saying, there's some instances where maybe you have to be more heavily uh, reliant on um, uh, on that. And I guess it's a big subjective sort of uh, sort of controversy and debate now with with a lot of the uh, special tests that we use having mm. sort of questionable validity. Um what what does your uh, and obviously it's going to vary on depending on who's in front of you but how how does your sort of shoulder examination look objectively what are there any tests you sort of started to veer away from or no i think i think the important thing is this whole thing is special tests and yeah it's something that i've learned from therapists more than surgeons you know rather than specific name tests it's mm. more about thinking what are you trying to examine what are you trying to achieve by doing your specific tests so you know it, there's active passive range of movement tells you a lot scapular humeral motion versus glenohumeral motion tells you a lot already in terms of rotator cuff there is no test or, or any so-called test that is 100 percent accurate or even close or 100 percent sensitive or specific so yeah. therefore as most of the literature show whichever so with whatever structure i'm testing i would have a combination generally at, at least three tests for yeah. any any specific structure I'm testing. And like I said, it's more understanding the the principles of what that structure does when you're doing your tests. So mm -hmm. for um, supraspinatus, I tend to do, again, the names will vary. So I do uh, various resisted abduction testing in the scapular plane. Yep. So I would, in a stronger individual, I'll test on longer lever arms um, and use a bit more weight. So, and I would do them both at, at lower levels, so at say 15 to 30 degrees abduction, but then also at 90 degrees. Um, and then I, I tend to call that uh, myself as. I, I like the 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 term empty can, so I use the term empty can and Job's supraspinatus test. But you don't have to use those names. And then I I would specifically say whether I'm doing that in long lever or short lever. And then the next one is a drop arm. So with every rotator cuff test, there's your strength test, and there's your lag signs, which tells you degrees of um, 
uh, of cuff dysfunction um, and then document uh, all of that and then grade it on the MRC grading. Um, so the same for, you know, posterior cuff. Again, we've got to be careful in calling it uh, infraspinatus. It's more posterior cuff. Mm -hmm. I do the external rotation in neutral, external rotation in abduction in the scapular plane, and do the same, and then grade that, and then the external rotation um, lag. Um, and then for subscap, I'll tend to do um, the bear hug belly press, um, and um, I don't tend to do Gerber's lift off if they if they're painful. So generally, the bear hug and belly press. And then what I'll do is I'll do them in slightly different positions uh, to just get a, a, an idea, because sometimes some people you're able to um, get that weakness in different uh, positions and make sure the key with all the rotational tests is to make sure you're isolating the joint that you're testing so they're not cheating with their with their scapula or their lats or their pecs. Ah, uh, okay, okay. So it's more, it's more, you know, it's, it's the basics. Don't worry about the names. Call them whatever you want. Yes. And is there any, you mentioned about, you know, trying to be as, as, uh, as, as specific as you can, as, as careful as you can to ensure you're not getting any kind of uh, compensatory um, muscles kicking. Is there any particular uh, advice you'd give on, for example, you mentioned sort of the externalization at different degrees of abduction. Are you, are you trying to sort of support, do that with the elbow supported? Uh, how, how do you tend to sort of go about that specifically? Um, so, you know, in terms of, of, of isolating for external rotation, you, you want to make sure the scapula's not moving. So you could mm -hmm. do it with a patient supine so the, the bed is, is controlling their scapula and make sure that you um, put a hand on the pivot. So, um, so you keep a hand on their elbow to make sure that the elbow isn't abducting away from the body um, and tested in, in that way. But like, like uh, you know, I do what I call a surgical examination. So I'm looking for gross things, whereas from a physiotherapy point of view, you might be looking for slightly more subtle things which will influence mm. your um, muscle management. So my examination is is fairly curt um, because I'm looking for big things. I know I'm going to do imaging anyway on the shoulder, so I'm okay. not looking for subtle uh, stuff. So um, you know, the key is is like I said, is to make sure that they're rotating, not abducting, and fix the scapula. I think that I think that summarises it perfectly, and uh, and also perfect little uh, little uh, segue again into imaging. And I wanted to come back at, and, and touch on this point which you which you alluded to before, um, which is sort of the the, the process of sieving through um, when it comes to radiologically, especially knowing, as you say, the the high rate of incidental findings, um, uh, structural damage in, in asymptomatics. Um, so I guess my question was, how do you, what's your sort of thought process like? How do you go about, you know, if you've got somebody... Imaging. Say, yeah, with, Im with imaging, so, uh, it, it, do you tend to, I mean, if we maybe stick with the rotator cuff, 
sort of, I guess the first question would be, what's your imaging of choice? And then the second question being, how do you sieve through what's, what, what's incidental and what's, what's relevant? Yep, because uh, uh, my investigation of choice is an MRI scan, the, um, but not any MRI scan. Unfortunately, a lot of the MRIs that we get from elsewhere are what I call screening scans. They're very limited sequence scans, uh, poor quality, not done with proper shoulder um, coils. Not all MRI scans are the same. So a lot of patients that come from scans done elsewhere, particularly through GPs on mobile units, they do very limited series scans. So um, they make it less diagnostically beneficial for me. Um, the type of scan, the MRI scan that, that I like and that we do is what I call a six series um, scan which includes uh, fat suppression, coronal and axial sequences, as well as a bone-enhancing T1 sequences in addition to the standard sequences. And that okay. has to be done on a um, good quality scanner. It doesn't matter whether it's 1.5 or 3 Tesla with a shoulder-specific coil. Um, the, that's the, most, the best diagnostic scan. Um, so we're fortunate we can get that. Not everybody has um, easy or quick access to MRI scanning. Um, so a good quality ultrasound can give you some basic information and certainly x-rays can give you some basic information as well. It depends on, you know, your access. Okay. Is there any? In, in, so it sounds like from what you're saying, yeah, the, 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 there's a very not you can't uh, all MRIs are, are going to vary significantly in quality, yes. and um, uh, and you can get some basic information uh, from ultrasound. Is there is there any uh, with, when it comes to ultrasound specifically? Is mm. there any additional information you can tease from that that you couldn't maybe get from it from an MRI standpoint, or does it not necessarily well, really add any extra value? So if you're looking at biceps, I certainly find ultrasound scan is more helpful for biceps than MRI scan, okay. um, in specifically in terms of dynamic for a subluxing long head of biceps tendon or any impinging lesions. Um, uh, that's about the only place I currently find it better. Uh, but uh, again, with ultrasound, it's very operator dependent. Um, and it's mm. a superficial investigation. So it will only tell you about superficial structures that you can access easily with the ultrasound. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And um, yeah, to, to go back to that point about sort of uh, incidental findings on imaging uh, what what's the what, what's your sort of um mm. thought process there because i imagine that, that's one, that yep. must pose quite a, a challenge sort of diagnostically um in well in a way uh, i guess the clinical examination is important so um if the patient has cuff pain that is, you know, resisted pain and abduction uh, the pain is anterolateral they may have weakness or some cuff pain inhibition, but they don't have any AC joint tenderness, scarf test is negative, um, 
then it's I'd be less concerned about the AC joint being a source of pathology, sure. um, for example, and similarly with biceps or glenohumeral joint. Um, you then look at the imaging, and as I say, I like the fat suppression sequences because they also highlight where there is fluid or inflammation. So if they have uh, subtle AC joint signs and you see swelling of the AC joint with periarticular edema, um, I would be thinking, okay, the AC joint. If there's swelling of the AC joint mm. or periarticular edema, that would suggest to me that the AC joint may be contributing to the pain and therefore I may want to target treating the AC joint. Um, likewise, um, again, uh, the biceps uh, and, uh, and other structures. Okay, okay. So, uh, yeah, you, you'd mentioned that uh, particularly for, uh, for biceps, you can, you can get some valuable information uh, from, from, from ultrasound. Um, uh, can add some some additional value there, and uh, and and also is it, it, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it sounds like you know in terms of sieving through uh, what may be incidental irrelevant findings is that the imaging um, uh, findings are being interpreted in the context of the results from your clinical examination. Very much. So. I always say to patients that the the scans tell us what it looks like inside but it's you who tells us what to do so the scans don't tell us what to do the scans just tell us what it looks like inside it doesn't tell us anything more okay yes yeah great yeah great point and um and then if we we move forwards then to you know so you, you've done your history you've done your clinical examination you've put that together with your imaging findings um could you could you walk us through maybe sort of what then what what how does how do you put all that together to factor into well, your your sort of uh, treatment choice or your your, your surgical yeah. choice if it if it does end up being surgery? Well, well, so in terms of rotator cuff tears, we've got got to sort of amalgamate all the literature um, together. So, yeah, patients got a cuff tear. Um, if you look at, um, there's lots of people who have asymptomatic cuff tears. If you look at the large uh, UCUF trial, um, long-term studies show uh, very long-term, no difference in terms of pain between any of the management, surgical, non-surgical injections, physiotherapy, no difference in terms of pain long-term. However, in terms of strength and function in the short to medium term, surgery tends to give better results, especially for younger active patients. So this is exactly what I tell patients. So you can live with it. There's no indication for surgery, okay? If it's mm. significantly affecting their work and their daily activities in terms of strength and function and pain, then there may be a place for surgery. For me, um, surgery is generally never the first option for most patients. Um, I would almost always uh, do at least one guided steroid injection and um, specific um, activity modifications and uh, rotator cuff uh, strengthening, stability and 
a range of movement exercises focused on building up the cuff around that tear. And many people can manage fine. Now, um, people may use other studies, smaller studies, which show one, that rotator cuff tears, 80% of rotator cuff tears get bigger with time. And that's, uh, that's done on longitudinal ultrasound studies by Hirahara in America. The difficulty with that is, although they may get bigger, that doesn't necessarily correlate with symptoms. So I would never operate mm, because a tear might get bigger. I say I'll never operate on a patient for what might or might not happen. The other thing people say is that you'll get a cuff arthropathy. Again, there is no long-term study that follows cuff tears over time to confirm that it is an inevitable process. And even if it is, even if they do develop a cuff arthropathy, we can always deal with that when that happens. Sure. Tears, there's many people who have large to massive tears who are managing fine. I have patients who are rock climbers, playing all sorts of sports, doing window cleaning with massive cuff tears. So it's it, the tear in itself. It's not the tear that makes the decision for you. It's the patient. So the tear, you know, the fact that they've got a tear tells us, yep, we know that there is a tear, but, you know, how we manage it is multifactorial. Yes, yes, great point. And, and I, generally, I'm... generally, um, on the whole, I generally veer away from surgery as the first option. Yes, that, that's something I actually uh, would be great to sort of see if you have any advice on, because I think uh, I'm sure I can speak for many of my colleagues where um, we we say have a have a patient in clinic where we think, yeah, OK, well, we can certainly um, seems if we could certainly warrant um, doing a, a trial of conservative management initially and, and, and see how we go. We're trying to be guided by sort of the evidence there, but often we get patients who want immediate escalation uh, uh, to surgery. Um, I, I wonder, do, do you, do you, uh, how do you sort of field um, those types of patients where they're I, maybe not showing that willingness to, to give rehab uh, a, a go when you think actually this would be a good option for them? I have to be honest with you. The majority of patients I see are not crazy about wanting surgery. Um, oh, that's refreshing they, to hear. <laughs> but no, having said that, the majority of patients want to know what um, what the problem is. Mm -hmm. So generally, they want a scan or they want a diagnosis, and they want to know the options including the surgical options and what that looks like in terms of recovery times, complications. And they mm. want, you know, and hearing what I've just said to you um, helps. So, you know, I think a lot of the time, maybe they don't want an operation, but they want a surgical opinion and they want um, imaging to show exactly what it looks like. I find a lot of patients, even if they, uh, with a traumatic pain, 
even though it, it, it's obvious to you and me that it's not the big C cancer, it's always out there. It's in the news, it's in the media, middle-aged, older people, it's always at the back of their head. Mm. Uh, and, and it's not so much that they want an operation, but they really want to know that because the pain is affecting them significantly, they want to know exactly what it is and exactly what the options are. Um, my surgical conversion rate for rotator cuffs is 9%. So it's, okay. very, it's very low. Okay. Yeah, no, I think that's that's an excellent point. Yeah, very very well put. Um, and yeah, with with the uh, with with surgeries at the moment, let's say for the people who who do end up, you know, having a surgery. Uh, one thing I want to ask you is that: Have you found that any surgeries, uh, you know, over the course of your career um, uh, today, any that have fallen out of favour or, or maybe aren't being performed as as often as they were? Um, I'm thinking back to that. Um, recent study the, the meta-analysis and bgsm from 2020 that was looking at subacromial decompression which came oh, under okay. quite a lot of scrutiny anything yeah. that you that sort of you think as a profession that surgeons oh, are veering yeah. away from or, or more towards subacromial decompressions and slap repairs right okay yeah yeah those and and i think the the evidence has been well to certainly to me has been fairly convincing that those are operations that in themselves have a very, very small place in our practice. There sure. is, it's not that there isn't a place for them, but it's, it's, it's a lot smaller than it used to be. Okay. Uh, and and you, you, will, you will see that, I'm sure the same you see in, in physiotherapy, where there will be a trend towards a new technique or exercise program <laughs> absolutely and, <yeah. laughs> it, and it'll wane it's the natural order of things i think fortunately uh it, within the the uk we we have very um, strict guidelines in how we introduce um new techniques now uh, you know with and that's only been within the last um three to five years um, which uh, so uh, we we try and follow as much as an evidence based practice as possible now. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and with um, sort of rotator cuff surgeries that you're performing, is it is it generally arthroscopic repairs uh, or what what sort of uh, sure. surgical uh, uh, approaches do you do you tend to take these days? Yeah. Well, again, for me. Uh, and my colleagues, um, the, the vast majority are arthroscopic rotator cuff repairs. Um, in um, other areas, geographically, there tends to be more open repairs. Uh, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether you do them open or arthroscopic. It should be the same operation. There's slight pros and cons either way. But yeah, for, certainly for me, the the highest numbers of arthroscopic rotator cuff repairs. Okay, okay. And are, are there any um, when you when you go in to do a, a, a cuff repair? I'm sure there's many sort of um, considerations. But are there anything as as sort of um, therapists, and particularly, I, I suppose I'm jumping ahead now to thinking post operatively. 
um, when uh, they've had their surgery and we're thinking about rehab and how to um, stage our progressions. Um, mm. Are there any you know, really important considerations like you know, size of tear, tissue quality, um, that kind of sure. stuff? I, th I think the most important thing is your relationship with the surgeon. That's mm. the most important thing because uh, uh, medico-legally, you need to follow the guidelines of the surgeon. And mm -hmm. as you and I know, those guidelines or protocols do differ. So you need to follow the guidelines of the, uh, of the surgeon. Um, the, and, and that will vary. I think for me, more importantly, as you know, I tend to uh, work with uh, I like patients to be treated by therapists who I know and who I work with and I have good communication links with. Sure. Um, in terms of, um, you know, how I would mobilize them post-op, um, in terms of the tissue quality and the quality of the repair, absolutely, uh, for a, a large to massive repair particularly a revision where the tissue quality is poor then we tend to go a little bit slower in terms of the the rehab protocol mm -hmm. um, but you know i i tend to like to go more along um how the patient's responding because we know we've seen patients who you've you've done a tenure you know you've done a repair on their tissue quality is not fantastic but at three weeks they're actively moving their arm and they're happy others you'll have done a tiny repair on um and they're really slow and and painful and apprehensive so there's there's more in addition to the tissue factors, there's also very much the patient factors and the therapist uh, factors as well. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yes, great point. And um, yeah, I think I mean I think it actually really uh, as as you say, you you you, you, uh, you sort of clarified that really important point is you know having a good relationship good working relationship and rapport with between sort of uh, therapist and uh and surgeon going forwards uh, making sure that we're um uh you know having a collaborative uh, yes. sort of approach and um and, and yeah well i think that's uh, that, that's fantastic uh it's really um uh, really fascinating to to sort of uh, hear your hear your how your mind works and how you approach things and, 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 and talking us through your thought process. So I want really, I, well, one, I want to apologize for the, the technical problems. That have oh, no, no. This, this I, I think it was, I think it was my end. I think now probably get people to download the app. It seems to be once we got the, uh, once I've been using it through the app, it seems to be working fine. That, yes, it's, uh, you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. That's, um, I, will, mm. I will make a, a, a note of that for the <laughs> for mm. future. But uh, no, I really appreciate you, um, uh, you, you taking the time out of your day to, to, to have, oh, a, no, have don't a chat. Oh, uh, no, it's an absolute pleasure. pleasure. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, likewise. Um, just mm. before we uh, we wrap up here, Len, obviously you've got the, the, the shoulder doc website. Where can people sort of follow you? Yeah, I don't know how active I am, but I'm, I'm on Twitter <laughs> on, on at, at, <laughs> at, at, at the shoulder doc um, and at the arm clinic for, for our practice and at uh, WL 
sorry, W-U-L-U for Wrightington Upper Limb Unit. Um, yeah, and then obviously shoulderdoc.co.uk for some shoulder information. If if anybody, you know, sees stuff on shoulderdoc, that's what I really like to ask, that you think is wrong or out of date, or if there's anything that's, that you think needs adding, please um, email me and let me know because, you know, I like to try and keep it uh, updated as much as possible. Sure, absolutely. And I'll, and I'll be sure to put a link in the show notes to, to your website and, and everything mm. else. That'd be fantastic. Well, thanks so much again, Len. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, Thank you. As always, thanks for, you know, sharing your knowledge and, and your time. And no. um, thank, yeah, you yeah, thank you for thinking. Thank you for thinking of me. Oh no! Yeah, so, oh, no, please. Yeah, I, I wanted. Um, I, you know, I said to. Um, uh, I did a, a podcast um, a few months ago with with Craig Lear from the Physio, mm. and I, I mm. said to him during our conversation, I said, you know what, I'd love, to, I'd really love to get Len on on the podcast, uh, but I don't mm. know if he'll if he'll um, you know if he'll uh, be be able to or, or whatever. Yeah. So I was I, I was very no. uh, touched by the fact that you you agreed to come on. So uh, yeah, genuine massive massive thank you. It's always nice to talk about what you enjoy and your passion and Absolutely. you know to sh- to share things. So thank you. No, it's my pleasure. No, thanks for coming on again. And um, who knows? I'm, I'm, I hope our paths will cross in, uh, again in future. And um, maybe uh, I mean, there's so many things we can talk about, aren't there? So we did rotate up today. But uh, who knows? Maybe in future we'll do an episode on another topic. Absolutely. And send my best to Craig as well. Will thanks. do. Will do. Have a lovely weekend. You keep well. Cheers, Jay. Take care. Bye, Bye. now. Bye. 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 Bye.